Good morning, everyone. Um, I expected it would be smaller this morning with a lot of people elsewhere, but it's still a blessing to see all of you here. The thing of that song, the last word of that song, heeding thy holy word, we win the strife. It fits so well. God's holy word. So, um, I was blessed by the message so far, uh, by the service so far. It was not planned that the horse have the service this morning. There was some switching around, but if you noticed, it so happened that way. Bible school, Jerry Mahor had a topic that he had a, had a theme the race to the bottom. He talked about the upside-down kingdom. Usually in this world, it's the race to the top. Go through school. Go through college. It's a race to the top. And he said the upside-down kingdom, it's a race to the bottom. It's opposite. God's kingdom is opposite the way we normally think. And that normally is so. I, um, I know many of you weren't there, but I, I took most of those messages in. It was a blessing. I'd encourage you can to listen to them. But this morning, it's my turn to share my heart. Brother John shared his heart one time a couple months ago, and a little bit after that, Brian shared his heart and his way, and I I, uh, later on, I got up and said, I don't know if I will or not, as the Lord leads. And I feel the Lord is leading me to open up and share my heart this morning. It'll be in the context of a message. And uh, hopefully, like I said to somebody this morning, I think it was Myron, if I share my heart, you'll know my heart, right? If I don't share my heart, you won't know my heart. So that's some of that this morning. Obviously, has something to do with the commissioning last Sunday and uh, the different stage of life that I'm entering in, and then we as a congregation are entering in. So I like to share a lot of what the Lord has has done and is doing in my own heart, and maybe a little bit of the vision the Lord has given for us at Oasis. Let's just pause for a word of prayer, Father. We are grateful to you for your holy word. We're also very grateful to you for your living spirit, which lives and abides and is a teacher to us as we look at your holy word. We thank you, Lord, for your word and the spirit for its cleansing effect on our lives, for its washing of the smudges and turning us around, or rather turning us right side up from the contamination and the things that come both out of our own hearts and also from the world around us. So we thank you, Lord. You are the one, Lord, that we worship. You are the one that we want to glorify. You are the one that all of history, everything revolves around, including creation. So thank you, Lord. And we pray, Lord, you would direct us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to read some very familiar verses. Starting at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, 
whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. I wonder how many of you could have actually quoted that from memory, a very familiar passage. I'm sure some of your children have this to memory. And it's a beautiful heart there. You see the real heart of God there for exhorting us to rejoice, exhorting us to pray, to not worry. You know, God's desire is to have a heart relationship with a people that have a renewed heart. Hearts that have been washed by the Spirit of God and by His Word. Hearts that can rejoice. Hearts that can pray and rest in God. Talked about the seventh day of rest. Here's a rest also. Hearts and minds that can experience peace. Hearts and minds that are clean, pure, and lovely because they have been washed and sanctified by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question is, does everything that's in the heart stay in the heart? There's one verse I didn't read. Let's read verse 9 now. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and a God of peace shall be with you. God's work is always a work in the heart. It is always a work in the heart. Doing never replaces being, but it's always connected to it. So I read some familiar verses this morning. Rejoice in the Lord. That's a familiar verse. We have a um, motto in our basement, which is a paraphrase. It says something like this. Say, Pray about everything. Worry about nothing. That comes right out of this. And then we have the very familiar verses. Whatsoever things are true, honest, and lovely, and all those things, think on these things. Those are beautiful truths that we do well to meditate on. But I want to pull one verse out this morning. And talk about one word in that verse. And it's probably the least familiar verse. Does anybody have a guess which would be the least familiar verse in what I read? Anybody want to take a jab at it? Verse 5. How many mottos have you seen on the wall of verse 5? I don't know if I have ever. It's the one that the Lord has been working on me. I've been meditating on this verse for weeks. And I share it, want to share what the Lord has been doing in my own heart and with the intent that he might do something also in your heart. That This one verse has the potential to change a whole congregation. Really? It really does. For real, it does. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, let your moderation be known. What do you think the Lord is telling us here? I remember a children's lesson I did years ago at Harmony. And I used the word moderation, and I taught the children something about moderation. I got a hot dog that was in a bun, and I had ketchup. And I, you know, you know, you can really squeeze ketchup out fast, you know that? If you squeeze it hard. And then I said, oh, that's not fast enough. I took the cap off, and I explained to them what immoderation is. And then gave a lesson on it. Is that what this word moderation means in this verse? 
it almost seems like moderation is opposite of what we generally teach. In Revelation, Jesus said to the church at Laodicea, I want you hot or I want you cold. I don't want you in the middle. Anything but lukewarm. I don't want anybody lukewarm. So is moderation being sort of in the middle? You know, we encourage and honor passion and zeal and fervency. I actually found a statement of commitment. Some some of you have probably heard this statement that I think came from Africa, maybe uh, around the time they had the... Uh, the Rwanda genocide. I think it was found after somebody had been killed in that genocide. This, this, this page was found. This paper was found at, beside his dead body. But this, I like to read it, talking about being sold out. The title is "I am committed. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ." I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I will not look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, position, or popularity. I don't have to be right. I don't have to be first. I don't have to be recognized. I don't have to be praised. I don't have to be regarded. I do not have to be rewarded. I am committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. I now live by faith, I lean on his presence, I walk with patience, I live by prayer. I, la- my, I labor in love, my face is set, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions may be few, but my guide is reliable. My mission is clear, I cannot be bought, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. I will not hesitate in the presence of adversary. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy. I will not meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up. I won't shut up. I won't let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Jesus Christ. I am a disciple of the Lord Jesus. I will go till he comes. I will give till I drop. I will preach till all know. I will work till he stops me. And when he comes, he will find faith and commitment in my life. When he comes, he will have no problem recognizing me. In Jesus' name, Lord, use me. Amen. I thought, wow. See any moderation in here? So what is Paul telling us when he says, let your moderation be known to all men? Does it mean the middle of the road? Not really. Like many Greek words, there's not a direct English equivalent to this word. So what does it mean? R. Johnstone, which is a commentator, says, by moderation is meant not temperance in the gratification of our desires generally, but specially temperance or self-restraint in our relations to others. Abstinence from anger, harshness, or vengeance. And that pretty well captures in a nutshell what it is. In other words, it's not moderation in our living habits, in our sleeping habits, in our catch-up habits. It's not moderation in that. It is moderation, not, uh, not moderation in your passion or zeal either. It's rather some more to do with how we relate to one another. 
that we're going to unpack today. So, if that, if a zealous Christian, I was going to say young Christian, but that shouldn't be just for the young, that, that, that what I read about the committed, I am committed, shouldn't be just for the young. But if a zealous Christian takes that, that's who I'm going to be, and he takes that commitment, and he runs roughshod over people, he is not moderate in the sense of the Bible word. We may have passion, we may have zeal, we may know what pleases God. But the question is, are you in moderation, according to the biblical term? Am I? So what does moderation mean? Divine's expository dictionary says of this Greek word, it's, it denotes, I'm going to just read it, it denotes seemingly or fitting, hence equitable, equitable, fair, and moderate and forbearing, not insisting on the letter of the law. It expresses the considerateness that looks humanely and reasonably at the facts of a case. Now, you, I don't know if I did a very good job of it, uh, reading that, but if you got what I'm saying, it has everything to do with relationships in that verse. The whole way through it has to do with relationships. What's seeming, fitting, equitable, fair, forbearing, humane, and reasonable. So, I think the best way to see what God is doing, this is what I got out of it, is to look at where else the Bible talks about this same word, the same Greek word where it occurs in the Bible. And uh, so you can turn with me to Acts chapter 24, and we'll be comparing Scripture with Scripture to get a little bit of an idea what God means when he says, let your moderation be known unto all men. In Acts 24, verse 4, notwithstanding, uh, this, is, uh, this is some... Some of Paul's enemies are coming before Felix, and they're asking for a hearing. And this is what they say in verse 4. Notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray thee that thou wouldest hear us of thy clemency a few words. So which word do you think is the word moderation in this verse? The same Greek word. Anybody want to give a guess? Clemency. The last time I heard the word clemency, it had to do with somebody that was on the death row, waiting within a day or two in a, being going to be um, executed by lethal injection, and there was an appeal made for clemency. In fact, I think, I think President Obama recently gave clemency to 9,000 prisoners, shortened their sentences by drastically because they were uh, in, the, in prison for long terms for nonviolent drug offenses. And they gave clemency, which means leniency or something of that nature. So you get a little bit of an idea what clemency is. Actually, in this context, what I just described is a little bit overstated. In this context, they're just asking for, would you be kind enough to just listen to our hearing? Would you just be gracious enough to hear our case? That's really what they're asking in this case. But to use the word clemency. Okay, let's look at uh, another, another scripture. That would be 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 to 3 we're going to read. And I want you again to pick out what the word moderation, that Greek word, where it's found in this text. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 to 3. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, 
apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. Anybody want to give a guess here where you find the word moderation? It's a little harder here, isn't it? Yes. Patient. Did you do this study before? Okay. <laughs> that is correct. It is patient. So moderation means being patient. Let everyone see that you are patient with others. Now, I'm going to go down a little rabbit trail right here. I looked at a number of different translations, and the word before, uh, but patient, the word just before there, not greedy of filthy lucre, was missing in all the other translations. It's just here in the King James. So I checked, and yes, the, um, the Texas Receptus, in which the King James is translated from, it's in there. But it's not in the other original Greek text. It's one of the many variations found in the original text versus the Texas Receptus. And depending on which side of the argument or equation you come on, you would say, well, the Texas Receptus has added it. Or if you're on the other side, you say, well, no, it has, the other texts have taken it away. <clears throat> and if we ever come to the place sometime in the future, I don't know how far, how long, when we realize the King James Version is no longer a version of becoming Latin in our times, that we need to switch it to something else, eventually that time will come. Maybe in your generation, I don't know. Why then that whole argument come, well, what do you base the text on? Do we have, is a translation based on the other text okay? But we'll let that go for now. I just thought it's a little, uh, little side there. But, for the sake of illustration this morning, I'm gonna take that phrase out. Not greedy of filthy lucre. If I do that, it reads, patience will be in the middle of no striker, but patient, not a brawler. And so you have patience in the middle of two negatives. Patience is directly between no striker and not a brawler. So a bishop or an elder must not be a striker. He must not be violent. He must not act out. Physically or verbally. He is not to do that. He's not to be a striker. Not even when he is opposed or mistreated or misunderstood. Neither is he to be a brawler, which means argumentative or debative or combative or quarrelsome. He's not to do that. Instead, he is to be patient. Is that a good quality for an elder to have? So you see what God has been doing in my heart as I look at these scriptures. Because that is not me naturally. But it is me in faith. It really is. Now someone here might say, well, I'm glad I'm not an elder. That's for the elders, right? That's a good thing for an elder to have, but at least it doesn't apply to me. Well, let's turn to Titus chapter 3. As we look on and see where this word is found in other places. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Paul, in the whole book of Titus, Paul is instructing Titus um, what he should teach the people at Crete. Crete was a heathen island with, I, I don't think there was much of any kind of traces of civility there. It was a corrupt place. In the middle of a culture that was vindictive, slanderous, argumentative, rebellious, in the middle of all that, 
Well, I'm going ahead of myself. I, I um, that was that was supposed to be later. We had a discussion recently. I think it was last Sunday. We had a discussion about discipling new new believers. Some of you were in that discussion. When you have new believers, uh, how should we disciple them? Well, this Titus was simply a manual from Paul to Titus how to disciple new believers. That's what it was. You go down the line, down the line, down the line, down the line, and here we are at chapter 3, and you are, he is to teach the disciples this. Okay. This time, find out again if you can find that word. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. So where do we find that word here? Anybody want to guess? Gentle. Gentle. So here we have another word. The same word is all those different English words because there's no direct equivalent in English. Moderation means patience and gentleness. And the question is, is this for the elders only? Who is he instructing? He's instructing the disciples. The new believers. And what word comes directly before it? Not a brawler. I think, I think the whole thing comes, uh, applies to everybody. That's what I get out of it. But it definitely applies to me. Who is this moderation to be shown towards, or this gentleness, or this patience in this context? No brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Not only just Christians, but everybody. This is a character, trait, quality inside of you that is to come out to everybody. Let your gentleness be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. And so there they were in the middle of that culture, that heathen culture, which I had said earlier was vindictive and slanderous and argumentative and and rebellious. In the middle of that, be known. You Christians, be known as a people who are gentle and mild and meek and moderate in your relationship with other people. In this race to the bottom, in this counterculture, upside-down kingdom, this is how I want you to live in the middle of that culture. Let everyone see it. There's another example, and I'll just read it because it's very short. Another example uh, for everyone would be in First Peter chapter 2 and verse 18. It says, Servants. Be subject to your to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, there's our word, but also to the forward. So the, the focus here is be subjection. Be in subjection to those who are over you. In this case, it's servants and masters. But we have bosses, we have fathers, we have other leaders. Some of them are good and gentle. The Bible says, not only to the good and gentle. So there are some leaders, some masters, some bosses that are good and gentle. Then there are some that are froward. What is a froward person? Well, I think of someone that you, whatever you do, you can't please him. You can never get a praise from him. You can never do it good enough. You can never get a blessing from him. Even with your best effort, it's never good enough. And God says, be in subjection to that person also. That's what a forward man is like. Another phrase to describe the word moderation is sweet reasonableness. Now, that's not a Bible definition. That's just simply a definition that you try to describe it. Sweet reasonableness. You know, you have a boss who is 
has sweet reasonableness to it. It's nice to be under that person. And you have a father who is, has sweet reasonableness. That's a beauty. That's a blessing. Actually, we are called to have sweet reasonableness, every one of us. So the question comes to me, before the Lord, the question comes, and before you it comes, am I good or gentle, or am I forward? That's the question that comes to me. Now, some here might still be holding off and say, well, okay, I see you brought those scriptures that it seems like it applies to everybody, but I haven't seen the Lord Jesus in all of this yet. I haven't seen Jesus being attributed with this quality. So I'm still not sure if it's for me. Well, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And there is our word, gentleness. Who am present, who in presence am base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. So there's our word, gentleness. Paul has had no problem Attributing it to the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus, his character is meek and it's gentle. <clears throat> now this is a common thing. I want you to get this. Anyone who is in any place of leadership, I want you to get it. I really want this in my own heart. Paul had apostolic authority. He was an apostle. He was got direct revelation from God. He knew what he was talking about. But he rarely used it. What did he do most of the time? It's what he did here. I beseech you. What for spirit do I beseech you? I beseech you with the same spirit Jesus has. With the meekness and the gentleness that Christ has, the same spirit that the Lord Jesus has, is that same spirit I beseech you. Gentleness and meekness, moderation and patience and sweet reasonableness and any other word you want to use. That is what the Lord Jesus Christ did and Paul did it over and over. You can look at the word beseech. He did it over and over. He said, even though it's true, that I'm apostle and I can command you. And he did sometimes. He can and he did sometimes. But his basic normal approach was beseeching. I am going to plead with you and I am going to make an appeal. I'm not going to demand this from you. <clears throat> Someone once told me that his wife has a problem submitting to him. He was all serious. He said, I love my wife. I prove it by how I serve her. And because I love her and I prove it because of how I serve her, it is my responsibility to make her submit to me. So he makes her submit. It's his duty to do so, he said. The Bible says so. What do you think? Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, right? That's directed to the wives, right? <laughs> Amen. That was years ago. I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know quite how to respond to that. I, I, something didn't seem right. That's all I knew. I said, well, I don't know what to say, but I, I can tell you, pretty sure tell you that your relationship's not going to be good. And it wasn't. I'm not sure they're together anymore. Paul didn't do that. He did not demand that. And he followed the example of Christ when he did that. I want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you too? 
Do you think this can change a church? I want to be like the Lord Jesus, the one who saw me on a junk heap, took me off the junk heap, put me in his shop, and began to restore me. And he's still working at it. That's what he's doing. The Lord Jesus did that. He did not despair at, I don't know what all I had. I mean, you don't know what all I had. I know some of what I had. But I didn't look pretty when he got me off the junk heap. And I suspect some of you didn't either. But the Lord worked us like this song says, Thy mercy is more than a match for my heart, which wonders to feel its own hardness depart. Dissolved by the sunshine, I fall to the ground and weep to the praise of the mercy I found. The Lord Jesus did not whip me He did not scold me. He did not coerce me. He won me. He did that. That is grace. That's true grace. If we are like Jesus, we will have that moderation, that true grace. Then there is one other scripture that is a little longer, but I think I'll read it in James. James chapter 3, and the reason I like to read it because it has the two contrasts. Again, most of the time, moderation is found in, in the middle of contrast. And I, I like to read this one, James chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 13 to 18. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Well, that's a good question. I think we could change that word and say, well, which one of you has moderation? Which one of us are a woman or a man of moderation, or a boy or a girl. Which wise man and dude, let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descended not from above, but it's earthly, sensual, and devilish. Now, James doesn't mince words. He calls some things devilish. It's from the devil. And that bitter anger and strife, if you look in some other translations, it simply means selfish ambition. Any kind of selfish ambition in my heart is devilish. It's from the devil. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But here's the contrast. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, and gentle, there is our word. And easy to be entreated, is full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. So, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. That is, let it be. You You don't go and show it. You just let it. People will see it. If you have it, people see it. Let it be shown. So, where does this verse find me this morning? What has God been showing me? You know, as I mentioned at brothers' meeting, I feel like I am on a crash course in relationships. And how to relate to people in, let me say, less than desirable circumstances. Let's just put it that way. Like Philip Rudolph explained in an illustration about 20 years ago, I gave an illustration I never forgot. He said he was talking to leaders, I believe, at the leadership conference, I believe. He said, when you become a leader, it's like, well, a car sitting in the garage, and it's tire, you're a tire, and your tire can be unbalanced, it can have flat spots. Not going to be much, you're not going to notice it on a car that's sitting in a garage. Neither are you going to notice it, you take that car down a field lane and you just drive it around. But being a leader is like taking that car 
and going 70 miles down the road. Back then it was 60 miles an hour because the speed limit was only 55 back then. Today it's 70 miles an hour down the road. Every flat spot, every imbalance shows up. That's how I feel. <clears throat> After a couple trips, it's necessary to take me back into the garage and work on those tires. And then go out again, and hopefully it's a little better. And hopefully the unbalances and the flat spots come out before the car shakes apart. You hope so. The Lord, I think, has faith that the problem will be remedied before the car shakes apart. I'm not sure of all this idea. Now, here's another question. Should I just get soft and compromise? Should I put relationships so high that truth is ignored? There's one quote I came across. He said, half-hearted leaders can never protect their congregation from wolves. We need wholehearted leaders in our homes. Anyone who's a leader, be wholehearted. Another quote I found, if you have only spirit, you blow up. If you have only word, you dry up. If you have both, you grow up. Amen. So, I'm not suggesting that I or we get soft or compromise. Not at all. It is really my heart to have a shepherd's heart. That is really my heart. Just this past week, I was talking to a store manager at a place where I was delivering. And she was telling me about some of the experiences she had with employees. She said recently one of her employees lasted only five minutes. And she went forward to explain how it happened. He came an hour late for work the first day. And she was there at the cash register, and he comes in the door, and she says, Oh, said, you're late. You should have been here an hour ago. And he, he got upset, immediately got upset. And she said, Okay, I'm sorry. We'll, we'll deal with it just right now. She was tied up at the cash register. She said, Just go in the back room, and uh, when I get time, I'll be back there. So when she had a, a free moment, she went back and said, uh, and he said to her right away, he said, I don't know if I can work for you. He said, you're so mean. And she said, it's okay, hon. We'll, we'll work through this thing. It's okay. And she tried to ease it up a little bit. And she began to go over some of the things that you do with new employees. And after a few minutes, she said, you know, my mom wanted me to wear another shirt today. I need to go home and put the other shirt on. So he left and never came back. Now, what should have she done when he came in an hour late? Should she build a relationship with him first before she begin to counsel and correct him? Should she have started with a praise first? Like, oh, how great you look today, before she corrected him. Should her love for him as a person be more important than his performance at the job? Or did she do the right thing? Meet him at the door with the expectations as they were. Now, obviously, an employer-employee relationship is different than a shepherd-sheep relationship. But I wanted to give you this story so that you know the questions that go through my mind. Okay? That's where I'm at. How do you relate to people with a shepherd's heart in a way they can receive it without compromise? <clears throat> so as I learn not to demand things of you, and as I learn moderation in my relationship to you, May I make this request that you do not demand that I walk it perfectly either and that you show moderation to me as well. Can we, can we do that? I would desire that. 
Frank Reed has an article about shepherds, and I'd like to read some of that. Uh, I, I modified it. I shortened it quite a bit, but it's still quite long. So uh, I'm going to read Frank Reed's article, what he said about shepherds. He said, leadership is shepherding, shepherding the members of the flock. He said, shepherds, pastors are a gift of the spirit to the church. Shepherding is knowing the people. Shepherding is fighting for the hearts and souls of the people. Shepherding is teaching truth to the people. It is bringing healing to the people. It is having the hearts of the people in your heart. Shepherds can carry lambs and kill lions. Shepherds live lives of balance, live lives of obedience, live lives of scripture faithfulness. Shepherds notice the lonely, hurting, struggling people. They notice the struggling families. They notice those who are abused and misused. Shepherds know how to bring comfort and care and emotional support. Shepherds are men of prayer. They do not envy. They are not jealous. Shepherds lead their people in paths of righteousness. Shepherds can be lonely at times. They spend long hours away from public eye. They are discerning and alert for danger. Shepherds risk the life, their life for the sheep. And shepherds realize they are a sheep in need of a shepherd. Shepherds do not play king on the mountain games. Shepherds have the wisdom to balance mercy and truth in all situations. They live above reproach in all areas of life. They fear God. They do not fear men. Shepherds gather godly men around them. They are not politicians. They carry staffs, not swords. They separate the sheep from the goats. Shepherds detect and protect against false shepherds. They do not drive sheep. They lead them. They do not coerce sheep. They feed them. Shepherds lead people to the father. Shepherds warn and caution against dangers and enemies. They require discipline of self and sheep. Shepherds anoint the heads of the sheep with the oil of healing. Shepherds love the sheep of God's pasture. So the question is, do I have a shepherd's heart? Like someone I counseled recently. He knew what he needed to do. He just was not sure or he was not confident that he could do it. And that's me. Well, I told this young man that the Christian life is a life of faith. God says you can walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, which was the issue right then. You're walking in the spirit, not fulfilled the sins of the flesh. God says you can do it. Therefore, the first thing you need to do is to believe God and begin to walk step by step in faith. But somehow it is much easier to tell someone else that than to actually do that yourself. Is that right? But that's my walk of faith. With the Lord, my strength, his strength is perfect in my weakness. And with you, I know you care about the Lord's glory. I am blessed with Oasis. I know there are, we have a lot going for us. We have lots of advantages. We have gifts in this congregation. We have desires to serve God. Last evening, I read a book. Maybe some of you read it. God, what was the name? God and Uncle Dale. God and Uncle Dale. Which was a, a story of the 60s about how the some of the conference churches were going, drifting, apostatizing. 
and how somebody found their way through all that muddle. And that church was a mess. I thought, wow, we are blessed. Ah. So, we have many gifts, many advantages, many graces. I am, I'm encouraged. <clears throat> I recently taught on finances, and one of the things I stressed very much there was ownership versus stewardship. You remember that. Well, I'm going to do some little more reading. It's, uh, it's from a Scottish preacher who lives in the United States now. Alistair Begg, he says this about pastors. He said, our goal in pastoral care is to take the things of God and bring them to bear upon the people in such a way that they are advancing in their own faith. He said, our goal is not to be well-respected. Our goal is not to build an ever-growing congregation. Our goal is not to draw people around us in a way that attaches them to us rather than attaching them to the Lord Jesus. Those are all goals of ownership. But our goal, Alistair says, are goals of stewardship. And our directive in relationship in this, as in every area of pastoral ministry, needs to come from the Bible itself and not from other areas, such as business practices. Not that we can't learn from those things, but they are never to be our authority. Another quote that I came across is, You must know that I will always be your servant, but you will never be my master. Think about that a little bit. I will always be your servant. As a pastor, I am called to be a servant pastor. So I will endeavor to always be your servant, but you will never be my master. I'm accountable to God. And here's another quote by Frank Reed. I'll finish with this. Has God given you a shepherd's heart? can be for any of us. It is the highest calling. It is the most difficult calling. It is the most rewarding calling. It is the calling where you work hand in hand, heart in heart with the great shepherd. It is the calling where you feel the heart of God. It is the calling where you become the heart of God to the people. Today we shepherd. Someday the great shepherd will welcome us home. Well, thank you for hearing my heart this morning. I trust I can also hear your hearts. God bless you.